So I'll begin reading today in verse 12 of the book of Philemon. And remember that Paul is writing to Philemon, who is a friend of his, a Christian, and he's writing on behalf of, he's interceding for a slave uh, of Philemon's named Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away and it seems robbed uh, Philemon. And Paul says in verse 12, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of the living God. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your inerrant word, for it is a powerful word. And may we, your servants, listen to that word today, hear it, understand it, and heed it by the help of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let's think about slavery for a few moments by way of introduction. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about slavery? Actually, it has quite a bit to say uh, about it, although it doesn't answer every question that we might want answered about this uh, sensitive topic, still sensitive issue today. And of course, by the way, there is much slavery around the world today. We can thank the Lord that Slavery is no longer a a legal part of our own country, but the Old Testament allowed for slavery. It regulated slavery, and uh, it was tolerated, but it was not promoted necessarily. It was not encouraged. It was simply that God seemed to permit it as an accommodation to a broken and fallen world, uh, just as we might say there was no direct condemnation against polygamy, although I think a biblical case can be made against polygamy in the Bible, uh, God seems to tolerate it. God seems to tolerate slavery in certain circumstances. It was never an ideal way of life. Certainly was not part of his original design for mankind. It's a result of the fall. But <clears throat> there, was, uh, there were strict regulations in the Old Testament about slavery, Those who owned slaves were not allowed uh, to abuse slaves, and they were to treat them with dignity. Uh, And the Old Testament view of slavery is that it was allowed in certain circumstances, but those who owned slaves were not allowed to dehumanize them. It was often done uh, by the initiative of the individual who would become a slave, and the person did so to... Uh, escape economic hardship and uh, someone who couldn't pay their debts. And often it was only temporary and, um, again, regulated. But during the time uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing in in the early church period, 
on the days of the Roman Empire, slavery was just a way of life. It was uh, the world was full of slaves. Estimated that the, the, that the Roman Empire at that time uh, there were 60 million slaves, and in Rome they said practically all the work was done by slaves. He, and Roman citizens thought that it was beneath their dignity to do any work. That that manual labor um, was beneath a Roman citizen. And even doctors and, and teachers were normally slaves. So there were some cases, of course, between there, there was a deep bond of, of loyalty and friendship and love even between a master and a slave. But basically, the life of the slave in, in this period, uh, of, under the Romans' rule, uh, the master held the power of life or death. Uh, the master held absolute control over the slave. And, and, and under Roman law, a slave was not a person, but a thing. Uh, this, a similar thing happened in our own country when uh, members of a certain race were not considered fully human at one time. Um, but... Uh, Aristotle said this, he said that a slave is a living tool, uh, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. So, so slavery was common, there was much abuse, although there were exceptions. Uh, slaves had no legal rights, they were treated uh, as commercial property. <clears throat> so slavery is, is because of sin, it, it, it occurs because of sin, and, and on account of sin, slavery uh, becomes not such a such a good thing uh, and so in light of how terrible a thing we all would agree that slavery is it's surprising that uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul and others in the New Testament do not directly condemn the institution of slavery itself and of course Paul and, and the New Testament writers do not uh, either they also do not condone it or encourage the institution. Uh, they are not salesmen, as it were, uh, to support to, uh, this institution. Uh, Paul didn't encourage slaves to, to run away or rebel, although in 1 Corinthians he did encourage them, if possible, uh, to gain their freedom, but if not, to serve the Lord where they were. Uh, this is the, the way the Bible uh, deals with these things. And, and, and he doesn't tell masters, you must free your slave. Uh, this is not what we see in the book of Philemon, even with a Christian master. And so why didn't Paul take the advantage, uh, take advantage of the opportunity here to just condemn slavery? And uh, he could have done so with one stroke of the pen. He could have said slavery is evil. No Christian ought ever uh, to be involved in it at any time. Uh, if that had been the case, it uh, would have been interesting to see what would have happened. But <clears throat> if Paul had said that, if he had you know, written that all slavery is wrong, we must immediately do away with it. First of all, it would have been God who's doing it. But probably God did not tell him to write that because it would have caused social chaos uh, at that time. It would, incidentally, that was one of the arguments of the Confederacy. They said, you know, we can't just outlaw slavery uh, all at once because immediate release of all slaves instead of a gradual release would would have um, not, not created a good uh, rule of order in society. And, uh, and so uh, 
For Paul to have preached against the institution of slavery would have caused social upheaval and would not have helped uh, the Christian church uh, to advance and to become what it would become in the early centuries. So in 1 Timothy 2, Paul talks about uh, how valuable law and order is. And he says, pray for those who are in authority so that we would be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And so, so Paul was not a radical abolitionist, and uh, abolitionist. He was not an advocate of social revolution, but of spiritual transformation, which, by the way, will result in social transformation. And so Paul knew that a radical spiritual change that we know as the new birth, that that would lead in time to change in society, that the more people, of course, who are born again of the Spirit of God, who become Christians, uh, w- would lead to a change in the culture. John MacArthur states that although slavery is not uniformly condemned in either Old or New Testaments, the sincere application of New Testament truths has repeatedly led to the elimination of its abusive tendencies. Indeed, if you look at history, uh, it is the Christian faith and the principles of Christianity that have led to the abolition of slavery where the Christian faith has been ascendant. We think of our own country, we think of England. Uh, it, it was Christians who uh, God used to bring an end to slavery. It was Christian principles. So instead of addressing social problems directly, often... The Bible does address social problems directly many, in many ways, in many places, but it typically deals with them indirectly through the avenue of personal relationships, first your relationship with God, but, but also with, with others, and, and deals with individual uh, morality. It's, it's, it's a bottom-up change, not a top-down way. Um, and so instead of focusing on social change, the Bible emphasizes personal change, personal growth. Uh, and, and the New Testament often does not really focus on restructuring the systems. Everybody's so focused on uh, the system today. We hear about systemic racism. Well, racism is a problem of the human heart. Um, and, and systems are only secondarily a, a, an issue. They're not the root cause of human problems. Again, to quote John MacArthur, he says, The issue is always the heart of man. Wicked hearts will corrupt the best of systems, and righteous ones will improve the worst. So you may have a great system, but we all know how corrupt the human heart is. Uh, We may have a good form of government, but if you have corrupt individuals who are in charge of that government, uh, you end up with tyranny, no matter what form you start with. That's the evil. That's, that's why we as Christians, we recognize that the heart of man is wicked. And, and this is why uh, we have problems. It's not the system as much as it is the person, the people. But Christianity, you see, is like leaven. Jesus said the kingdom of God is it's like you put a little leaven in a, in a lump of, of, of flour uh, and, and it works its way throughout the lump. Eventually, And so Christianity spreads quietly, sometimes invisibly, in the hearts of people, but eventually it comes out 
in society. And, and what we see in the book of Philemon is, is an example of this spiritual and relational approach to life. It's not that we never deal with institutions or structures, but <clears throat> this is the way of the kingdom is through changing hearts one life at a time. In the book of Philemon, as, as I said, we have a runaway slave named Onesimus. He meets the Apostle Paul in Rome. He's, he hears the, the gospel. He is converted to Christ. And Onesimus begins to be a changed man. He begins to be useful and very helpful to Paul, who is in, in prison under house arrest at this time in Rome. And Paul knew that he couldn't keep Onesimus with him for long. He had to send him back. Because he belonged, legally, he belonged to uh, his friend Philemon. And so Paul writes in verse 12, I'm sending him back. Uh, and of course Philemon is going along, I mean Onesimus is, is, is traveling along with the letter, with, with one or two others, uh, to deliver the letter. And, um, and hopefully uh, Philemon gets to read the letter before he takes any actions with regard to, to Onesimus. But <clears throat> he said, I'm sending him back. He, and he doesn't send him back in shackles with a with a, you know, a, an officer of the law, as it were, to accompany him. No, Onesimus is going back willingly because, as a believer, he knew that it was the right thing for him to do. Paul uh, was basically instructing him to go back and humble yourself and admit you're wrong, and, uh, and, and he's instructing Philemon to receive him, accept him, and forgive him. In Colossians 3.22, Paul wrote, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now this principle that Paul taught in Colossians and in Ephesians and other places, surely he was teaching to Onesimus while they were together. And, and so Paul says, you need to go. You need to make things right with your master, you need to ask forgiveness for, for running away. You broke the law and you broke his trust. You cost him uh, income and so on. And so he sends Onesimus with this letter to Philemon. And in this letter, Paul wants Philemon to know how much uh, Paul cared about and loved Onesimus. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. What an expression, right? Um, he's my own heart. I'm sending my own heart to you. And, and Paul and, and Philemon had a good relationship. And so Paul is a man of tender compassion. Uh, just like our Lord Jesus Christ, any sinner who came to him, and was willing to repent and humble themselves. Christ did not turn any sinner away from him. Uh, but he had some strong words to say against the unrepentant, proud, and self-righteous uh, people of that day. But sinners who humbly confess their need of him, he will never turn away. And so Paul has been often mischaracterized right, as this uh, you know, woman hater as this harsh uh, apostle, but nothing could be further from the truth. Paul loved this runaway, rebellious slave, just like Christ loved him. And, and he loved him as a son. John Calvin remarked that this remarkable kindness displayed by Paul 
that he did not hesitate to receive a contemptible slave and thief and runaway and defend him from the indignation of his master. This This is an incredible thing. This kind of thing just didn't happen in those days. And, and, and so Paul is reasoning with Philemon. Receive Onesimus back in love. He, I love him. I care about him. I can hardly bear for him to part from me. He's such a blessing to me. Uh, it was tearing his own heart out to send him back. Uh, Scottish pastor uh, Alexander McLaren noted, he said such language from an apostle about a slave would uh, do more to destroy slavery than any violence would do. Love leaps the barrier, and it ceases to separate. So these simple, heartfelt words, McLaren said, are an instance of one method by which Christianity wars against all social wrongs. Verse 13, Paul said, Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Uh, And maybe there's a hint there that, okay, I'm sending him back, but it would be great if you send him back to me after that. Because I still need it. I really do. And uh, and you might want to think about that, Philemon. But uh, Paul didn't want him to leave, and and he had helped him, but he was willing to let him go. And, in fact, to do so, uh, to plead the case of Onesimus before Philemon. In other words, this letter is an intercessory letter. His whole approach is to intercede with Philemon on behalf of, of Onesimus. This is a grand picture of our Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes for runaway slaves of sin who have come to him now and become his friend by faith. Christ loves us and intercedes for us before his Father's throne. And he does so because even though we are poor, wretched slaves of sin, Like Onesimus, you and I, wretched though we may be, have become his very heart. Think about that. You are on the heart of Christ. You are his very heart. He loves you. Listen to the words of the hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. That's the truth of the gospel. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you uh, are a lot worse than the rest of us know. I'm a lot worse than the rest of you know because we keep a nice righteous veneer. But Jesus knows us as we are, and he still loves us. That's the amazing grace and love of God. Well, if you belong to Christ by faith, you know that he ever lives to intercede for you. He pleads for you before the Father's throne. And his pleading, his prayers come from the depths of of a heart of love for you, for me. And the Father always hears him. He always wins his case. He's he's a defense attorney who never loses his case. Satan may accuse you, and he will. And he has much 
fodder for accusation. But Christ will defend you. He intercedes for you. He will not, and the Father will not turn down any request that Christ makes on behalf of his own. Remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 32. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He said, you know, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I pray for you. Your faith will not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. See, Christ is praying for you and me. The devil is assaulting your faith every day that you live. But Christ is praying for you. That's the only reason you're here today. That's the only reason you're still praising him and praying and repenting. is because he is praying and interceding for you. And you will gain new strength. You will persevere by faith because of that. And some of you are facing very serious things in this congregation. Difficulties. Uh, but the Lord is on your side. And, and we know that scripture says if Christ be for us, nothing can be against us. In verse 14, he continues his pleading for Onesimus. He says to Philemon, but without your consent... I wanted to do nothing, that is, uh, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. And here is a principle that you find taught throughout Scripture, that God loves a cheerful giver, that God does not want our giving to be out of compulsion. God does not want us to do our good deeds because we're forced to do them. And so, <clears throat> um, far better, you see, Paul could have twisted Philemon's arm. He could have used his uh, authority as an apostle and, and demand that Philemon do this or do that with regard to Onesimus. But instead, he reasons with him, and that was the better course, encouraging Philemon to do this thing from his own heart, from his own willingness to do it voluntarily. Not under compulsion. Compulsion is what the government does when it collects or extorts taxes from us to pay for welfare programs. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when I give money to the government for its welfare programs, I do so very grudgingly. Yes, I do it because God says pay taxes to whom taxes are due. But I do not enjoy giving taxes for the government to spend it on others. I do it grudgingly. Because I think, well, that won't go too far beyond that. All right. But what it does, it actually creates ill will between the giver and the receiver uh, of the benefit. When the government, you see, takes over charity, it, something great is lost. Uh, it, it loses the voluntary nature of our giving, number one, and it, and it robs us of our joy in giving. It creates a distance between those who give and those who receive. You know, the, the Christian way is that the giver and the receiver, by their very act of giving, are brought together in love. And people's lives and hearts are in, intertwined and, and, and connected then in love. I thank the Lord for the love that I see displayed every day by the members of this church. Uh, your giving 
goes far beyond the offering plate, even though it's very substantial there. And this church gives over and beyond what is expected. I see people giving of themselves cheerfully and generously all the time. And, and what does that do? What has that done? In this little congregation, it has built strong bonds of Christian fellowship and love. And I pray that whatever you do, whether it's giving of your income, the first fruits of your income to the church, or giving to help the poor, or giving of your time uh, and your energy uh, for someone, I pray that you won't do it out of compulsion or mere duty or, or worse, out of just guilt. Give because you love the Lord. Give because you know that He's given so much to you. Give because you care about your brother, your sister, and your neighbor. Give because you want to give and keep giving. The Lord Jesus, of course, is the greatest giver of all. He went to the cross. He suffered willingly, voluntarily for our sins. Some have pictured the Father as, as putting Jesus on the cross and Jesus not really wanting to go. And they look at you know, what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, see there, he didn't really want to go to the cross. That's not what was happening there. Christ willingly, even gladly, went to the cross on our behalf. Uh, it was his love that sent him there. It was his love that kept him there on the cross. Ephesians 5.2 says it plainly. And walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So Christ, out of love, offered himself. He gave himself because he loves you. And, and you and I, then, should do the same for each other because we love those whom Christ loves, an offering unto God. In verse 15, he says, Perhaps he, Onesimus, has departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. It's very interesting. He says, you know, uh, perhaps he's departed for a while for this purpose. He is... He is cautiously and humbly looking at the providence of God here. Uh, he's not saying that he infallibly knows these things. It's perhaps, you know, this is what God is doing. It, it, it seems to be the case. But uh, so often today people are so certain about the signs and providences that happen in our lives that they interpret them as if they know exactly what God is doing. We don't really know what God is doing fully in his providence. You know, if something happens, we say, it's a sign, it's a sign. Well, yeah, sign for me to do what I want to do, usually. Uh, uh, but Paul says perhaps he's departed for this purpose. And Paul, of course, knew that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, because he wrote those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and Philemon, of course, may have wondered, uh, I've lost income, I've lost a, a, a good worker, well, maybe not such a good worker now, but uh, you know, I've lost something when Onesimus ran away. What good can come out of his disobedience and his rebellion? Well, what good does come out of such things? Maybe nothing directly, but you see, God, again, how does God work? He's working uh, behind the scenes, often invisibly, uh, and he takes these things, even evil things, and works them together 
to bring good out of them. And that's what he's doing in your life today. Uh, You may have lost something of value. It may have been a relationship. It may have been something else. Health, financial loss. We can go on and on. But, But God has a purpose to bring good out of it for you and for me. And And so in this case, he brings a runaway slave to submit to a new master, a better master, the ultimate master, Jesus Christ. And and this is the good that came out of it. And so not only is Onesimus, does he become a child of God, but he becomes a brother to all who are in Christ. He becomes a brother to his master, Philemon. And that relationship takes precedence over all relationships once a brother in Christ, eternally a brother in Christ. So in that sense, Philemon, as Paul said, you know, would have Onesimus back forever. Friends are friends forever when your friends are in Christ. The intriguing thing in, in verse 16 now, as, as we come to a close, is that Paul says no longer receive him, but no longer as a slave. And it's difficult to discern his meaning. Again, there's, there's subtlety here. And Paul, you know, the question is, did he mean to say, Philemon, free, the, free your slave? Uh, and, and some commentators say yes. Others say no. No, they're adamant that this is not a request for emancipation. Rather, it was an acknowledgment by Paul of this entirely new relationship now um, between the two of them that was for them to work out whether he goes free or not. Uh, and one scholar notes that even if Onesimus returns to his post, he can never again be merely a slave, uh, a, 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 a walking household utility. Uh, the relationship has changed. And, and freedom probably did come from it. There's, there's some evidence in church history that Onesimus is, is, is written about, whether it's the same one or not, and he becomes a bishop in the church. So if that is true, then he did likely gain his freedom. But the, again, the principles in this letter, Philemon, have been used to help lay the foundation, even if subtly, even if indirectly, uh, eliminating slavery in history, both in England and our, our own nation. You see, these principles of love and Christian brotherhood are transformational. We think, oh, we've got to pass laws. We've got to you know, do big things, uh, top-down things, but no, the simple principles of love and Christian brotherhood can transform a family, can transform a nation, can transform the world. That's why the apostles and the early Christians turned the world upside down. Again, the greatest thing to happen in the life of Onesimus was not his freedom from earthly slavery, whether he ever got that or not, we are not certain. But rather, we know he was set free from his slavery, his enslavement to sin and to Satan. Have you been set free today from sin and its dominion over you? If you have trusted in Christ, you have. And so that his conversion to Christ changed everything. So even if his status as a, as a Roman slave did not change, it didn't matter. Because he can serve Christ as a slave. That's something, you see, no matter what situation you're in, you, we're all uh, hemmed in by various factors and forces in life. And um, we all have limitations. We all have boundaries. 
that we cannot pass. And, and so the, the issue is to serve Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can change our circumstances. Sometimes God will change them when we pray and ask him to. But often it's like Paul who prayed three times that God would take away the thorn in the flesh, change his circumstances. And God says, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to give you something better. My grace will be sufficient for you. You see, God may not change your situation. Uh, And if he doesn't, know this, that he can change your attitude in the midst of the situation you find yourself. Again, it's not wrong to seek a change uh, in your circumstances, but make sure you allow God to do the change of heart and attitude. You see, we are able to glorify God in whatever situation by God's providence we find ourselves in. We can do so knowing that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. There are no accidents. There are no chance happenings in your life. And that trial you're facing now is the very thing that God has designed for you to go through so that in that situation... You can glorify God and you can do good works. Because what does Ephesians say? And we'll end with this. It says, you know, uh, that that you're saved by grace, not of works. Uh, We know that. But we're saved unto good works. It says that God has ordained good works beforehand that you should walk in them. Well, he's ordained the circumstances in which those good works will be done. So... Instead of complaining, you and I need to be trusting, we need to be praying, and then we need to be doing the will of God where we are now. Tomorrow, things may change. They may not. Nevertheless, whether you eat or drink, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever your state, whatever your status, do it all. Whatever you are doing, do it all to the glory of God. Let's pray.